This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Politically Homeless. To start things off, I want to give a big shout out to Tyler. Welcome to the Patreon community, my dude. Politically Homeless Patreon. Link is in the show notes. Patreon.com slash Politically Homeless. Get a premium episode every week. Crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon. Starting off hot with an ad for my own Patreon. I'm that kind of guy. Listen, here's the deal. I'm heading to, to Hawaii tomorrow. Okay, a little backstory here. I'm headed to Hawaii tomorrow. I'm going to go to Molokai, do a little Axis deer hunting with uh, my girlfriend Kelly's brother. He's never hunted before for a big game, so we're going to do that. I'm going to go to Kauai, do some things. Just be out in it, because he's stationed out there now, and we have an excuse to go. And I haven't been out doing the thing in a while. And I was I was perusing my Instagram, um, uh, like stories, when you do the little thing where it's like shows you what you were doing this day a year ago. And it's crazy how fast a, years go, a year goes by because at this time last year, I had just <laughs> dropped a show just just pouting loudly about Joe Biden being the, the nominee for the Democratic Party. And I was just so butthurt about, about Bernie Sanders getting the fat shaft from the DNC yet again. And um, I'm still a little bitter about it, to be honest with you. I don't think anybody thinks otherwise about me. Knowing how much it really just solidified my disdain for the DNC, it was crazy. But it's fun to look at that and then think, okay, yeah, it's been over a year. We've been doing this thing uh, at least once a week. It's time to take a little break. So next week we will be off. I'll be doing my thing. I'll be in Hawaii. No show next week. I am sorry, but I'm also not. I'll be rejuvenated. Maybe come back with some new ideas, some new thoughts, a new perspective, and. It's very likely that when I get back, we'll have pre-sales open for the merch. That's right. Merch is coming in hot and heavy, and we went for it with the merch. And this, here's one of the, I, I was actually the T-shirt, or I actually renamed it to the apparel chair in my fraternity in college um, that no longer exists. I think they got uh, in trouble for some alleged uh, hazing. Um, in that chapter, in the, in the Epsilon Iota chapter at Texas State University. I think they got the got the boot for some things. I mean, who knows what the hell they were doing. We were into some crazy shit. I mean, it was frat life. But anyways, I was the apparel chair. And I was always very, this is a deep value of mine. It's a, it's a principle that I like to live by. Don't fuck with bullshit apparel. Like, just don't do it. Nobody wants a cheap bullshit t-shirt. I used to have arguments about this at chapter meetings. I was like, listen, let's get good shirts. Let's get quality shirts we can wear for a while here. Not these like Gildan, boxy, cotton bullshit. So I spent so much time just like trying on different hoodies and t-shirts, which I'm kind of an apparel whore anyway, so I was into it. And this hoodie I'm wearing right now, if you see the videos, this, this gray hoodie I've been wearing lately is the one that we'll be printing Politically Homeless on, and it will be released for you. Pre-sales will be opening Soon. We also have a Yeti cup, not some Bush League bullshit fake Yeti stuff like they have at the Daily Wire. Those pussies at the Daily Wire with their fake Yeti cups. These are real Yeti cups because we don't fuck with the bullshit. You want a Yeti? Get a Yeti. Okay? Not an Arctic or whatever else bullshit they come out with. Get a Yeti. 
And if you want a Yeti with Politically Homeless, then by God, you get a Yeti with Politically Homeless on it. We also got stickers coming out for your laptop, for your car, whatever you need to do. T-shirts, hoodies, yeah, and Yetis and stickers. Now, if you're in the Patreon currently, which some of you undoubtedly are, you're going to be getting some free shit, okay? We got stickers going out to everybody in the Patreon, and there'll be some new offerings. I'm going to be mixing up while I'm gone. I'm just giving you, just doing a little housekeeping here. It's important to have these kind of announcements. So, yeah, we've recently, Patreon recently uh, uh, um, offered the one-year pay-up-front subscription. Well, if you do that, you're going to get something special. I'm just saying, keep your eyes out for what's going on on the Patreon because it's getting better every day. And the more people are in there, the better it gets. Because I can justify more hours going in to Patreon content. So, speaking of Patreon content, I know I'm all over the place today. I've got a lot going on. This is where my mindset is right now. I'm doing the best I can. I've got a, I've got a living room full of shit that I've got to find a way to pack into coolers and backpacks. <laughs> it's going to be a very interesting experience. But what I did today, because I, I wanted to do the premium show and the regular show that most of you guys are used to. I was like, you know what? Let's have those shows fuck. Let's put those shows together. Let's do one show. Okay? So this is a half normal episode, half premium style episode that was sourced from questions in the Patreon community. So we're going to talk about the lab leak hypothesis, some more stuff coming out there. We're going to talk about um, (laughs) Biden's nominee for ATF director, which is, he just gets completely clowned, which is hilarious. And then we're going to go into the questions from Patreon, which cover a few things more about like World War One, World War Two, kind of some fun stuff there. Um, Mark Manson just put out this killer newsletter that talking about knowing too much stuff, <laughs> knowing a little bit about a lot of things and how it can be a problem. And we're going to talk about these um, million dollar giveaways, kind of as a vaccine coercion. Um, lots of states are doing it. We're going to cover that a little bit. So yeah. We're going to blend the shows together. It's going to come out for everybody. Of course, if you're in the Patreon, you're going to get it ad-free. If you're not, well, you're going to get a delicious ad for Element about halfway through this bitch. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. But with that being said, it's time to rock and roll. Let's party. State of Things coming at you right now. them labs be leaking they leaking soaking wet the Wuhan Institute of Virology is under under fire once again (laughs) and even the New York Times and Forbes are chiming in here so let's check out this article from New York Times which I feel like here's what's happening and I may make a few predictions throughout this situation here but I feel like here's what's happening this has become such a credible and obvious source it's not confirmed, not confirmed, but a very obvious source of COVID-19 that is not confirmed, but very obvious. Um, uh, source for COVID-19 has become so obvious that mainstream outlets are having to start writing about it because now that things are starting to wind down and get to normal, everybody's kind of get churning like, okay, now we're out of the chaos for the most part. Um, where the fuck did this thing come from? All right, because you have this one theory, the zoonotic theory, where a bat uh, infected some kind of like Chinese wombat thing, and that wombat traveled like a thousand miles 
to Wuhan and happened to like infect a person next to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That's that's one that's that's the zoonotic theory. I know it sounds crazy. It sounds like a fucking South Park episode, and it was a South Park episode. It's absurd. Now, the only people that are saying, it seems like, only people that are saying that that's the most likely cause, the most likely source, are people who have massive conflicts of interest, which is many people, one who is notably Anthony Fauci, and several other people who have uh, invested in or have a vested interest in gain-of-function research, which basically supercharges bat coronaviruses and makes them way more contagious slash deadly, and then in the hopes that maybe one day they'll find a cure for those things while they're sitting in a lab, right? Gain-of-function research. Beautiful thing. Seems that way anyways. we got 11 labs doing it here in the U.S. too. It's, you know, it's, it's playing with fire. So the New York Times finally broke their silence on this. And the funny thing is, uh, these there's and now we have places like Vox going back and editing their articles that they had written about how the lab leak hypothesis, hypothesis was a conspiracy theory because of the people that were saying it. That's why, that is why you don't take everything someone says and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because conservatives were like, this seems like it came from China. And the China hawks were all over it. Does not mean, and those people can be bad faith, bad faith actors. But what they were saying made a fuck ton of sense. And we treated it like it was some kind of crazy Alex Jones shit, right? But that being said, the reason that people are leaning to <laughs> leaning to people like Alex Jones, seeking those people out, myself included, sometimes about once every two weeks, I'll jump onto Band Video and see what's up. Just because I'm like, oh, what's he talking about that I'm going to hear about in three months down the road or a year down the road? Because I've been hearing about this lab leak and how credible it is for over a year now. And this is where we're at. Now, finally, the New York Times is paying some attention. So let's check this out. Another group of scientists call for further inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. Researchers urge an open mind saying lack of evidence leaves theories of natural spillover and laboratory leak both viable. A group of 18 science stated Thursday in a letter published in the journal Science that there is not enough evidence to decide whether a natural origin or an accidental laboratory leak caused the COVID-19 pandemic. That's a very neutral stance, right? Like maybe it did come from a lab. Let's at least entertain the idea because we haven't even investigated the place one time. It has not happened. There has been no investigation. There's a, there was a visit by virologists who have a vested interest in gain-of-function research who are not objective and have, a, again, a massive conflict of interest. It says they argue that the U.S. government and other, other countries have, um, have for a new investigation. Wait, what the fuck does that say? They argued as the U.S. government and other countries have for a new invest investigation to explore where the coronavirus came from. Sorry, that was worded really weird and I cannot read. The organizers of the letter, Jesse Bloom, who studied the evolution of viruses at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle, and David Relman, a microbiologist at Stanford University, said they, they strove to articulate a wait-and-see viewpoint that they believe is shared by many scientists. Many of the signers have not spoken out before. Most of the discussion you hear about the SARS-CoV-2 origins at this point are coming from, I think, the relatively small number of people who feel very, uh, very concerned about these issues, Dr. Bloom said. He added, anybody who's making statements with a high level of certainty about this is just outstepping what's possible to do with the available evidence. 
The new letter stated theories of accidental release from a lab and zoonotic spillover both remain viable. That's a very, that's a very like scientific methody way of going about this, right? It's like, let's look at the evidence. Let's see what's up. Let's try some different things out. Let's see what makes sense. Now, Forbes reported on this just a few days ago. Report, Wuhan lab staff went to hospital with COVID-like symptoms before confirmed outbreak. New intelligence finds. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. We've got hospital cases from people that were in the staff at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that were hospitalized with COVID-like symptoms. And we have now the WHO, even though they're in China's pocket, the WHO has said that there was cases all the way back to October of 2019. So with all that, look, looking at all of this, right, this was in November, we have to ask ourselves a lot of questions, honestly. One, this lab leak hypothesis was viable from the beginning. It made the most sense in the world. And just because people like Alex Jones were talking about it does not mean it's not true. Just because Alex Jones was talking about Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile island five years ago does not mean it wasn't true. It was absolutely true. Confirmed. You know? Shit, he was even right about the gay frogs. And I, I, I see this so often. It's like if, and we saw this so much in the Trump era. It's like if Trump said it, if Trump said it and, and, and put it out there, then automatically it was wrong, which was one of the biggest downfalls of, of, of liberal media and just people in general. It's like, well, well, Trump, and all that did was feed into the, the conservative or the MAGA narrative that he was being villainized unfairly. It's in the book Hate Inc. by Matt Taibbi goes into this really well, like how the whole phenomenon of Trump happened. And so much of it was based on that. It's free airtime trying to disprove something somebody said. And that guy said so much dumb shit. But even a broken clock is right twice a day, baby. You know? So we have this situation where we're looking at this and we're seeing that these people from the Wuhan lab went to the hospital with COVID-like symptoms a week before the first COVID case was confirmed in China on December 8th. According to newly disclosed U.S. intelligence obtained and reported by the Wall Street Journal on Sunday, corroborating previous State Department findings and casting further doubts on the long-standing assertion that COVID-19 did not escape from a lab. That was called, I mean, fact-checking websites all over the place were like, uh, pants on fire, right? I think that's what, what, whatever that one bullshit, Snopes. It's like, pants on fire. Lies. That's what we were seeing all the time. And it was like, it was like living through some kind of extreme gaslighting. Right, It was like, but that doesn't seem to make any, like it just didn't add up. It didn't add up at all. And here we are, finally, fucking finally, a year later. And the thing is, on the, on the larger scale, what this does is just continues to erode credibility in public institutions. Whether it's the media, whether it's the WHO, whether it's the NIH, whether it's the CDC. Like, you have every reason in the world not to trust these motherfuckers. And then they act like they deserve your fucking allegiance. These fucking institutions think that they deserve your trust after this bullshit. How many things do we have to see? How many things do we have to see? From the food pyramid to the lab leak hypothesis and everything in between. I don't understand. We have like 47 fucking health institutions in this country. And we, we spend more on health care than any other country by far and have the lowest life expectancy of any developed nation. 
And then we have dickheads like Trump being like, people love their, uh, people love their, um, their private health insurance. I've never spoken to a person in the fucking world who likes their private health insurance or an American anyways. Like who the fuck is, who are these people that are like, I love my health insurance. I love, I love having a bunch of acronyms in my health insurance title and having to have a copay and a $7,000 out of pocket maximum. And then, but if I do the other, the gold OOP plan and this other thing, it's like, it's the most confusing, convoluted, corrupt system that exists outside of the military industrial complex. And in this, we see this all the time. And I know maybe I'm just bitching here because I'm frustrated. Man. So going on this article from Forbes, it says the State Department previously reported that U.S. officials have reason to believe several researchers inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology faced symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illness. What are you trying to say there? Last fall, but did not, did, but didn't specify that the researchers were hospitalized or the exact timing of their illness. Unnamed officials familiar with the intelligence report gave the Wall Street Journal varying accounts of the new information veracity, with one person saying it needed further investigation and another person described it as very precise. We got to also understand that nothing coming out of China is going to be accurate unless it benefits them. Straight up. You need to read the book, um, Chaos Under Heaven by Josh Rogan. It goes into all of this and how Trump was just a, a, a puppet for President Xi. I mean, it's t- to the point that it's embarrassing. Like, I can't imagine st- like somebody supporting that guy still after reading that book. He got clowned. The, the, the author, or the supposed author of The Art of the Deal, got straight up strung along by the Chinese president in a very embarrassing fashion. It's a surprising fact. Though the virus was first confirmed in December 2019, who, who researchers have identified more than 90 potential COVID-19 cases dating as far back as October of that year? Now, Forbes has a chief critic here. It says, Yan Ziming, the director of the Wuhan National Biosafety Laboratory, told Chinese state media the report was a complete lie on Monday. Yan said he did not know where the information in the report had come from and called the claims about the lab groundless. I wonder why that is yawn. Is it maybe because anybody who speaks up about this thing just happens to disappear as if China has some kind of portal to Narnia that they're throwing people through? Like, is that what's going on over there? Who the fuck knows? It's more likely that if you say anything that doesn't toe the party line of the fucking CCP, you're going to end up in a work camp or with a bullet in your fucking head. That's the situation. And, and why is, why is his take even relevant after all this bullshit? After all of this bullshit, China is a powerful country. Militarily, uh, but everywhere else, they're hedged big time. Big time. And they're just working in the United States. It drives me fucking insane. And it didn't start with Trump, and it didn't start with Obama, and it didn't start with, it's, it's just like Clinton era shit, like NAFTA era shit. I mean, damn, dude, what are we going to do with this? Uh, the biggest takeaway is like on the larger political spectrum, this, this people lose faith in leadership and it pushes people further and further to the periphery. Cause when you confirm what crazy fucking people say, it's like, well, maybe I'll entertain their ideas. There was people that were kicked off of Twitter and Instagram for, for, for putting this theory out there. Don't even get me started on what's going on with ivermectin. I might get fucking this video taken down just for saying the word ivermectin. It's insane. 
But here we are. Finally. Finally. We have somebody writing something that makes some goddamn sense. All right. David Chipman is Biden's ATF director nominee. Now, we're going to see some stuff here. He's going to get questioned by a few conservative senators on what an assault weapon is. Now, I want to be very clear here. The tragedy at Waco, this man was a part of. Okay? That tragedy was so overhyped, so overmilitarized, and disgusting. And the fact that this motherfucker can do that and then be in a position to be the director of the ATF is fucking egregious on all grounds. Now, he's going to get absolutely clowned in the first 30 seconds or so of this video, and then he's going to actually be able to respond and give a real answer. But we're going to talk about a little bit where he's at, what this means, and where this could go. Let's go ahead and get into it. What's an assault weapon? Yeah, Senator, uh, um, Get it together, the bill dude. Uh, to ban assault what, weapons is, what is your dozens of pages. Of There's weapon. no way I could define an assault weapon. You don't have any, you're going to run an, this agency and you don't have a definition of assault weapon? But I would be enforcing the definition that members yeah, of Congress Yeah, but you're going to be have. issuing rules and regulations. Just give me your definition. Um, I'll give you one definition that ATF Give me your definition. Uses. One definition that ATF currently Give me your definition. I can give you one definition. If you won't answer my question, how can I vote for you? I'm done, Mr. Chairman. I don't think I'm going to get an answer. You have called for an assault weapons ban. I have a simple question for you. What is an assault weapon? Senator, um, an assault weapon would be, in in the context of the question you asked, what Congress uh, defines it as. So you're asking us to ban assault weapons. We have to write legislation. Can you tell me what is an assault weapon? How would you define it if you were the chair, the head of the ATF? How have you defined it over the last several years uh, as your role as a gun control advocate? Um, Senator, um, if I'm confirmed as ATF director, um, you know, my recollection is the only um, um, process by, by which ATF is weighed in is that I know there's a demand letter three program, which requires multiple reports, uh, multiple sale reports on the southwestern border. And ATF in that program has defined an assault rifle as any semi-automatic rifle capable of accepting a detachable magazine um, above the caliber of 22, which would include a 223, which is, you know, largely the so, AR-15 round. So you, you believe that every weapon that takes a detachable magazine that can take a 22 round or, or 556 in the military parlance should be defined as an assault weapon? Um, let me clarify. Uh, what I believe I just said is any semi-automatic rifle. Um, with, okay, any semi-automatic rifle. Um, wh- what? That's the definition. A detachable magazine that takes a 5.56 or 22 round should be defined as an assault weapon. Senator, um, you asked me um, if ATF um, had uh, used this term. And I was sharing with you my knowledge of a program in which ATF has defined this term. Um, and it is in the Demand Letter 3 program. And that rifle is a semi-automatic rifle capable of accepting a detachable magazine with a round greater than a 22 caliber. And in those cases, firearms dealers on the southwest border are required to make a multiple sale report to ATF. I, I'm, I'm amazed that that might be the definition of assault weapon, that would basically cover every single modern sporting rifle in America today. Um, Let me put it this way. If I wanted to buy an assault weapon, 
and I walked into Walmart or Cabela's or some other firearm dealers, and I looked up on the wall where they were labeling their weapons, would there be a label on the wall for assault weapon? Um, I don't believe, um, Senator, and thank you for this question, that the firearms industry has used the term assault rifle in their marketing um, since there was a ban on it. Uh, it was after that that they changed uh, their use of the term assault rifle to the modern sporting rifle. Well, so I've been in Walmarts and I've been in Cabela's and I've seen that you can find sections for, for pistols or handguns or for shotguns or for rifles because those are actual kinds of firearms. I think our exchange here illustrates that there really is no such thing as an assault weapon. That is a term that was manufactured by liberal lawyers and pollsters in Washington to try to scare the American people into believing that the government should confiscate weapons that are wildly popular for millions of Americans to defend themselves and their families and their homes. All right, so let's get into this. There's a lot to cover here. This is a pretty, a pretty interesting bit of dialogue, all right? So I think the piece where he talks about the liberal liberal lawyers and pollsters deciding to call something an assault weapon for marketing purposes, that gets done on both sides of the aisle, right? That's why you saw global warming change to climate change during the Bush administration because of the exact same thing. So it's like kind of rebranding of issues to be what is more advantageous for the, the party in power is not new. And for any side to criticize the other side for doing that, it's just a pot calling the kettle black. So let's just call out that bullshit right now. Now, this idea, this definition, of course, he didn't do a good job of explaining that in the first uh, d course of dialogue there, but the, eventually it was like, yeah, a semi-automatic rifle that takes a detachable magazine above a 22 caliber. So a 5.56, a 308, like any of these uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, there's a lot of modern sporting rifles that do fit into that category. Now it depends on this. And there's like a sea of definitions here. It depends on your definition of a sporting rifle. When I hear sporting rifle, I think about a hunting rifle and most hunting rifles are not semi-automatic. That's just a fact. Okay. Most hunting rifles are bolt action rifles. Now, if you're shooting pigs in Texas or something like that, then an AR is actually a really uh, adequate weapon to do the job because there is a, an invasive situation there where you're trying to knock out as many of those things as you can because of the damage they cause. The best gun for the job, I would probably say, I would say is an AR-10 and a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 308 for something like that. I own an AR-15, I own an AR-10 and a 308. Really fun guns to shoot, really fun to have, could be kind of dangerous, right? Could be kind of dangerous. So are lots of other things, okay? And this guy's track record, this David Chipman cat, it just doesn't line up that this guy is is, is qualified for this for this role, okay? He's become a an advocate for gun control, not an objective objective leader in when it comes to firearms and gun safety. So this is, this is a, this is the problem here, right? Because I can get on board with some rational, um, gun law shifting around, right? I think that there, what needs to happen is you need to like walk a lot of it back and then reestablish things that are much more simple, much more straightforward and much more clear. Okay, and this whole Biden plan of taxing you a couple hundred dollars for everything that you have from extended magazines to assault, to assault weapons or ARs, whatever you want to call it. Like this whole thing is really weird. And this assault weapon category doesn't really exist. And let's not, let's not gloss over the fact that the majority of gun violence is done with handguns. The vast majority. I, it's over 80%, I think. It's, it's an astonishing number. 
right? So that's the majority of gun violence. We don't, how much do you, how many times do you hear about handgun violence versus violence that's done with an AR-15? There's a reason for this. And this creep is what gets really scary to me, right? It's like, well, that, okay, so you, now you have any semi-automatic weapon that uh, accepts a detachable magazine that is higher than a 22 caliber. Well, then does it move to semi-automatic weapons at all, right? So like a, a BAR, a Browning, uh, a Browning automatic rifle, is a high caliber semi-automatic that's hold, that holds about five rounds, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. So would that be considered an assault weapon, <laughs> right? Which is by no means would I ever look at that and think that's an assault weapon, right? It's, it's huge. It's bulky. Wouldn't make a lot of sense to do any kind of violence unless you're hunting or something like that. And there's reasons for those kind of weapons, and they're really interesting and kind of fun to have. Not super practical for what I do, but, like, they're, they're cool. Um, we've got to be really mindful of this because there are more guns than there are people in this country. You're not putting that toothpaste back in the tube. It's also an incredibly divisive topic in the same way that abortion is. And it's highly manipulated to raise money, to gain favor, to divide people, divide and conquer, if you will, right? You see, I, I see this on the fringes of both sides because the neoliberals and the neoconservatives agree on so much, on so much. The Venn diagram overlaps so much. And on the outsides of that Venn diagram, you've got like Second Amendment and abortion, right? And a few other things here and there, maybe like stop the steal and whatever. So like COVID is the worst thing ever, right? We have these like different areas where we kind of are different. And those things are kind of used to bait us, right? To bait us into making a decision to pick a team. Because at the end of the day where they overlap, where these two parties overlap is on shit that we fucking hate. So they need to keep us distracted with things like this all the time. When really at the end of the day, and it is a tragedy when someone walks into a King Supers like they did in Boulder and shoots people with an assault rifle. And also... That's not nearly the majority of gun violence. It is a very, very small percentage of gun violence. Most of it is done with handguns. We could talk about higher barriers to entry for handguns. I think that's absolutely crucial, right? And I don't mean higher barrier to entry and costing more money. I mean in some kind of safety class or protocol. Now, I've got my concealed carry. The class is an absolute joke, okay? The concealed carry class is super, it's nonsense. It's like, the, it's, it's, it's sitting in a room for six hours. That's what it is. You don't need to, you don't learn that much. It's like basic shit that anybody in any kind of like hunter safety course um, could have. That being said, you see regulations on other things, right? If I want to go hunting here in Colorado or any Western state for that matter, I think any, maybe any state in the lower 48 or in Alaska, I have to have a hunter safety course. If I want to go hunting with a bow, okay, I mostly bow hunt. If I want to go hunting with a bow, I have to have taken a one day Hunter safety course where I learn what's up. I don't see that being a humongous problem to implement for certain firearms. Okay, as long as the barrier to entry is low, it is not expensive. Ideally, it's free. Ideally, it's government subsidized. And it's providing jobs for people who are trained in firearms who are former military, former police, people like that who have a lot of experience and you can actually get a little bit of an education, make it fun. I don't see how that's a huge problem. Right, I think that's important, and just for general gun fucking safety, right? Handguns are dangerous. They're small, they're compact, you put them in your purse, you put them in a bag, like lots of shit can go wrong. And the conversation around this kind of stuff needs to be about caliber, capacity, and rate of fire, right? The reason that they say, oh, you know, 22 doesn't consider, is not considered an assault weapon is because it's hard to do that much damage with a 22. Yes, you can shoot people. Yes, you can kill people. It's not easy to do that. Right, it takes it takes it would take some some work to make that happen. 
Now, when you get to things that are like a two-two-three or a five-five-six or a three-zero-eight, yeah, that can do some that can do some serious damage. I'd still, if I was going to choose, rather get shot with a five-five-six over a you know a forty or even a nine-millimeter for that matter, just based on the amount of damage that that thing does when it tumbles through your body. Neither here nor there, but worth noting. So this conversation is not super productive, right? And you're seeing this guy throwing out like gotcha questions, and you're seeing this whole thing. And David's doing a really shitty job of answering the question because they don't want to define what an assault weapon is at the end of the day. To define an assault weapon would mean they need to change the assault weapon definition whenever they need to do something else, whenever they need to gain favor from the left, right? From your, from your typical white New York, you know, rural, uh, urban occupant, right? Your upper middle class white people in urban areas are who you're getting with this because they don't like guns. They don't, they haven't spent a lot of time with them. They haven't been around. They don't hunt. They don't like recreationally shoot. And I'll tell you, man, recreationally shooting an AR is fun as fuck. It's fun as fuck. Okay. I don't, I don't feel bad saying that. <laughs> like it's one of the most fun things you'll do. So we get it. This is an interesting, this is an interesting course of dialogue here. And the fact that this dude and all the, everything else aside is like activism and shit. The fact that he was involved in this Waco situation to me, just disqualified. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a scar on the ATF and how they handled that. Like a bunch of fucking wannabe cowboys. Absolutely egregious. And we don't have the, we don't have productive conversations in this. I would love, if I was a politician, I would love, love to have a productive conversation on gun legislation with gun advocates and anti-gun activists. Get them in the same room. Have a discussion. Educate people. People, if you're going to talk on this, if you're going to speak on this issue, you need to be fucking educated. Because the people that are being punished by the situation, and there's always a good point made by the conservatives, it's not like criminals really give a shit about background checks. Okay, you could just buy a gun from another person without a background check. That's not a problem in most states. Just buy one in a parking lot. Find it on Craigslist. You can do all kinds of shit like that. It's not that hard. So things need to need to be done. You know, we do have a gun problem. I'm not, I don't feel bad saying that either. I love guns. I love the Second Amendment. And we have a fucking gun problem. Okay? Because 80% of the guns that are being supplied to the cartels come from this country. That alone says we have a fucking gun problem. And if you want to be like Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene and worship guns like they're your fucking deity, that's one thing. And it's idiotic. We need to have a practical, pragmatic conversation on where we need to go with this. Because it's a hot button issue, but right now, no one wants a solution. No one wants a solution to this, and no one wants a solution to abortion because it's too good at splitting people up and keeping them distracted from the real fucking issues that are fucking us all over. That's what's going on. So when you see nothing happen... Or the only things that are going to piss off conservatives happen, happening when it comes to gun legislation, know that you're being fucking manipulated. That's it. Full stop. Full stop. And then you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene who make any gun owner look like a fucking moron. They're a caricature of a gun owner. That's not what most gun owners are like. But, you know, they, don't get, they get way more attention than somebody like Tim Kennedy who's a very responsible and educated gun owner that teaches other people how to be responsible with firearms and use them appropriately and safely. But that kind of person doesn't get attention. What to do is take someone like who's a fucking moron like Marjorie Taylor Greene and put her all over TV or Lauren Boebert with AR stacked behind her in a fucking Zoom video like a goddamn clown and make us all look like assholes. And it's, it works. 
To be straight up, it fucking works. Because I had this conversation with people all the time living in a liberal city. Right? I have this conversation. And by the end of the conversation, most people understand where I'm coming from and think that what I have to say makes sense. And you can't say the same thing for any fucking word that comes out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's face. And people like that just give somebody who's anti-Second Amendment more ammunition. See what I did there? Pun intended. More ammunition against Second Amendment advocates. And then they get worshipped by these fucking people. It's like it's as if people don't understand human behavior at all. <laughs> it's a trip. <sighs> but this is where we're at. This is what we're seeing. It's hard to understand why it's not clear to everyone that this is nothing but a manipulation tactic. As if the people that are pushing for gun legislation actually give a fuck. And if they actually did, they'd be talking about handguns first. Not ARs or Assault weapons. All right, before we move on, I got to let you know that this show is sponsored by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of the Element beverage packet. Now, what Element is, is an electrolyte, salty magnesium beverage that quenches your thirst, increases hydration, and helps that lovely H2O soak up into your body. Okay? You're not hydrated enough. You're not hydrated, so you're not sharp. You're not dialed in. You're not moist on the inside. You need to be moist on the inside and sometimes the outside, but mostly on the inside. And Element helps you do that. They just dropped this new flavor. It's watermelon. It is delicious. And here's the, here's the thing. Sometimes in the morning, right, strong flavors are a little much, like orange juice in the morning, which don't be drinking any kind of juice. Like let, we're, we're adults here. Come on. But <laughs> but. Strong flavors in the morning can kind of be a little bit much after you brush your teeth or whatever. For whatever reason, watermelon in the morning is like the most refreshing thing. When you're a little dehydrated, whatever, maybe you smoked a little weed the night before and you got a little cotton mouth. I know that happens to me a little bit. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, I swear sometimes if I'm just like, I'm so thirsty in the morning, I get up, I make that watermelon element and I just hammer it ice cold. And it is so fucking Good. It is incredible. Now, lots of people use this from athletes to high performers and yada, 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 but we probably aren't any of those things. We're just people who like to live our damn lives. We live our lives. We like to do things, like to go hiking, like to sweat, like to work out, maybe eat paleo or keto or carnivore, any of those kind of things. I'm telling you right now, my trip to Hawaii, I'm going to be hammering element. It's going to be hot. I'm putting in miles, baby. Miles. Hiking in, at, hiking in, looking for deer, hiking out, carrying deer. That's what I'll be doing. And I'll be hydrated as fuck doing it because... Of Element. Now, if you go to drinkelement.com, D R I N K L M N T.com slash wanders, you can get a variety pack that's seven packets for five bucks, just covering shipping. They're trying to give it to you for free, but you got to cover that shipping for yourself because the post office needs its needs its due. You know what I'm saying? So go to drinkelement.com, D R I N K L M N T.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes of this show. All you got to do is scroll down, click that bad boy, and make your order. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the friends at Elemental Labs, which are amazing people, by the way. Their whole crew is just badass. I'm lucky enough to know a few of them, and they are really, really amazing people. So just do it for them. If you're not going to do it for yourself, if you're so empathetic that you need to just do things for other people, then do it for them. And do it for me. Because I love you. I really do. I really care about you. 
and I care about your health and I care about your hydration. And that's why this show is sponsored by Element. That's why you got to go to drinkelement.com slash wanders, get your variety pack for $5 and add on a box, a full on box, maybe two or three or 10 boxes of that watermelon flavor because it will do things to you that you thought were previously impossible. It will change everything about your life. Drinkelement.com slash wanders. Get some and stay moist, baby. All right, now we're going to get into y'all's questions. All right, Jake Folk starts it off. You mentioned that you're really into world wars and the history of Hitler right now. I have to, I too have started watching many documentaries on World War One and World War Two, and it seems like these two wars really shaped the countries that they exist today. Not all, of course, but a lot of them. Just kind of looking for a general take on that and anything that you think is really fascinating to you at the moment. And then Anna chimes in and says, one thing I always thought was interesting is how World War I started because most countries were already primed for war and thought it was inevitable. And so they were trying to hit first to get the upper hand. Believing something is inevitable is, is the most dangerous place to be. And I worry that we are here again. Yeah, that's a really, that's, that hits Anna. Well done. Love that. Um, so Jake, yeah, the things that I find fascinating, I mean, the thing about it is these wars weren't that long ago. They weren't that long ago. And, and that's why I've kind of gotten into this. And I've read this book, uh, Blitzed, about <laughs> Hitler's drug use, which I thought was very interesting. And just seeking to understand how that person got such a hold. Like, what, what was it about where Germany was at in that point in time that allowed someone like him to be placed in power and have that kind of reaction from the population? That trips me out. Like I look at that and I'm like, wow, that's that's such a weird, it's just so crazy and so weird. But at the end of the day, like being that it wasn't that long ago and humans haven't changed that much in thousands of years. So these people are just people. They were just people and they were turning in their neighbors to 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 the Nazis. Like it's just a weird, crazy thing. And you watch movies like Fury or Inglorious Bastards and you see these incredible villains, but that doesn't tell the whole story, right? Like there were incredible villains among the Nazis, many of them were Hitler was an incredible, like super villain as far as that goes. And many Marvel villains like Red Skull have been created from that, that legacy. And, and, and I look at this and even what you said about the, the, how many of the state or countries took shape in that time, like we're still dealing with consequences of the, of these wars in certain ways. And there was so much shame so many shameful activities that reshaped the way that we even do war, like the amount of civilian casualties and how that spun into uh, what happened in Vietnam and, and, and kind of that we got over the hurdle of bombing civilians in, in World War II. And that became like a normal thing in World War II. And it, 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 to see how that shifted the way that we do war, and I, I want to get into this, this book by Malcolm Gladwell called, uh, I think it's called The Bomber Mafia, and how they thought they could win wars completely through the air with precision airstrikes, which they did not have the capacity to do at the time, and they tried to the, uh, to the chagrin of people who were blown up on accident. But just looking at how gruesome and how intense those wars were and how much nuance there is. Like we get this bullshit history about just like America jumped in and saved the day, dun, 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 you know, and like that's, that's, that's it. Right. We get this kind of very shallow patriotic nationalist view of things. 
When in the reality of World War II, I mean, Russia did as much to turn the tide against the Nazis as the United States did. And they fought off in the Battle of Berlin and like slowed the Blitzkrieg. And, and looking into how, how many people on all sides of the war were hopped up on fucking meth and how our pharmaceutical company, uh, Merrick, was really got its got its start and got notoriety for making cocaine, liquid cocaine, and that was used uh, by the Nazis, right? Supplied to the Nazis from that pharmaceutical company that now um, has one of the new vaccines, which I think is very funny. Um, but it's just a weird, it's just weird to look back, and it's not that far in history. Once you get into like looking into history, you think about five hundred years is just not that far, right? And it wasn't nearly that long ago. Like I look at Genghis Khan, I think that wasn't that long ago. So. It's just so interesting to me, like how much those wars shaped the world and how out of those, we got this military industrial complex that really runs so much of our country, like so much of that, right? And then I think about how countries, again, took their shape. I thought about that quite a bit and how that wasn't that long ago. And we have this idea that the world is static and things are the way they are um, and they've always been that way. It's kind of, I don't know if it's human human conditioning or what that has us thinking about things the way they are, but it also closes our mind to how things can change. And maybe they don't need to change through war necessarily, but how um, countries can split up and absorb and like just this, this crazy wild time in our history and the number of people who fought and died like it's just there's nothing about it to me that's not fascinating and since it was in the modern era pretty much we have like video and and detailed descriptions and it was the first time that that we that people were really able to see war like see these these propaganda videos of people fighting and and people dying in many cases it's just it just really shaped our consciousness and i don't think we think about it enough um, and once I started to kind of understand that and how that's impacted us going forward, it's just been something that, that I've kind of kind of dove down the rabbit hole on. And, and Hitler in particular, just because of, of the figure he's become in history and this name synonymous with evil, it's 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 wild to me to see, you know, you can you can look at, at, at iconic figures in, in American history, whether it be like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, uh, like these these people who rallied um, movements, you know. And depending on which side you were on, and, and if you're on the American side, like very valiant movements in very many ways, and, and these these things that really shaped the world. But when you look at something that was that evil, but then you also think about, well, Hitler's kind of taken that role of like ultimate evil, but then you have Mao and China who did this whole other thing and killed way more people, and Genghis Khan was beheading full like cities of people that were that that and just believed he was virtuous in doing so. Like there's way more to it, and it just keeps going and going. And you start thinking about these these characters from history who did these atrocious things. I mean, Alexander the Great was a tyrant in his own way. Like it's just the, there's so much there, and it's fun to like get. It's just fun to get in the weeds of history. History teaches us so much about the patterns and what do they say? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Um, we learn a lot about ourselves through history, I believe. And we also learn a lot about how confirmation bias works into what we're told and how, what we learn. So I love that. There's this, this, this person on YouTube called the armchair historian, and he goes through different things like um, the war in Afghanistan from an Afghani perspective, right? Like the opposite perspective. Uh, and I think, I think that's really interesting to see like, what were they thinking? What was their justification? Because we always look at things in this like good and bad, right? But really at the, at, at this point in time, at this point in, in history, that, that good and bad kind of light and dark story structure is not very intriguing to people anymore. And especially in America, right? If you look at the most like common 
and, and most like groundbreaking shows of our time, you have um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? And how if you weren't kind of if you couldn't empathize with Thanos, you missed the point of the whole movie. You know, he was this person who wanted to eradicate half of the universe and did so, even though it got undone. But, spoiler alert, by the way. Um, but his, his justification for that was valid. Like, he saw his home planet be completely destroyed. Like, there's a reason. That's like this, this like core wounding that, that created that. And it's trying to understand that um, through history is really interesting. But you look at these, like, morally gray characters, right? And, and maybe Avengers isn't the best example, but think about something like Game of Thrones, right? And you think about Game of Thrones and how, if you love that show, if you watched that show, I know the last two seasons were absolute garbage and it ended really terribly, and I'm a huge fan, so it was bad. I'm ready for the books to come out. That's where I'm at. But think about the addiction that we have to morally gray characters. Jamie Lannister being a great example of that. Somebody who pushed a kid out of the window on episode one, was sleeping with his sister, was just an, a, a, a terrible person, and you start to understand their motivations and what drives them, and they start to develop as a character, and you have these morally gray characters all over the place. Like There's no one in Game of Thrones that is absolutely good. Maybe Samuel Tarly, but very, there's, there's not very many of those, and that's why it's so fascinating because that's how human beings are. So looking at humanity through the lens of World War One and World War II and these tyrants throughout our history, I think is a fascinating place to accept the darkness that lives within humanity. And, and we, I think we spend way too much in denial of that. And it's not like a respect for these people by any stretch of the imagination. That's not what it's about, but there is a bit of a fascination. You know, there's a reason why there's a bunch of Netflix documentaries on serial killers Right, like we 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 are we're fascinated with the darkness that lives within humanity, and I'm not shy about that. I think it's it, it's it's incredibly fascinating, and people like Jordan Peterson um, go into that stuff. Um, Joseph Campbell's work goes into that. Like it's really, it's an interesting way to view the world, and I think that that since we get so much of the the other side, right, the goodness of humanity, like that that's kind of gets pushed down our throats. That looking and acknowledging and accepting the darkness that lives within humanity can be an absolutely powerful, powerful thing. Anna says, I DM'd you an image from the of text from the Mark Manson newsletter today, and I thought it was very interesting. Basically exploring the fact that the world of social justice has gone online, which makes everything more unproductive. Everybody wants to get involved, but don't actually educate themselves leading to a lot of dangerous uh, opining and criticizing. Yeah, so we got this article here, and I actually get this newsletter. I highly recommend subscribing to the Mark Manson newsletter. It's a very nuanced and balanced way to view uh, personal growth and personal development. Anyways, he talks about the uneven distribution of awareness. This this is to be the last of my installments of my ongoing discussion of whether or not today's society is too aware. To catch people up real quick, two weeks ago I suggested that perhaps social media has caused an overabundance of awareness of social issues, which has become counterproductive. Last week, after reading many reader responses, I wrote that perhaps it's not that we're too aware of the problems of the world, but that we're not aware enough of the solutions, which I think is very a very productive way to look at it. Well, after another rounds of discussions with a lot of thoughtful readers, I think I've come to a firm conclusion on where I believe of what I believe on this subject. 
In the social media age, we have transitioned from a few people knowing a lot about their own particular issue to everyone knowing a little bit about every cause. For a few social causes, this might be beneficial, but for many social causes, it's probably unhelpful at best and deeply distracting and counterproductive at worst. Most social causes likely need highly dedicated, highly informed activists working for long periods of time. This is pretty much the opposite of what social media activism is. Fucking Preach, Mark Manson. The unfortunate side of this shallow awareness of every issue is that a large number of people have become incredibly irrationally pessimistic about the future. They have a superficial understanding of the problem without really knowing the facts, history, or trade-offs involved with that problem. Oh, Mark Manson, you are a special human. Therefore, the internet gets flooded with bad takes and lots and lots of angry people writing mean things to each other. <laughs> Check my comments on my posts. Um, the widespread pessimism and occasional hysteria occasionally erupts into large and often misguided political movements. Protesting, protesting becomes performative. Yeah. More about signaling which crowd you identify with rather than any actual cause. Woo! Called out. The ineffectiveness of these political movements and protests eventually generates greater pessimism and frustration. And then, hello, darkness, my old friend. What can we do about this? As always, follow a strict attention diet. Choose better information sources, i.e. follow experts over influencers. Get comfortable with finding and thinking in terms of statistics rather than stories. Most statistics show things getting better. Most stories show things getting worse. That's a strong point. Learn to ask yourself, what if I'm wrong? Absolutely crucial. And then ask it all the damn time. Practice empathy, especially with those who you, with whom you disagree. And put the phone away. Maybe go outside, eat a burrito, pet a dog, look at a sunset or something. You're going to be fine. Until next week, Mark. Yeah, so it's probably not hard to see the influence that Mark Manson has had on my life. And really one of the things that his book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, had really really showed me and and helped me accept about myself is that I didn't need to speak in a way that was disingenuous to myself right like when I was reading his book it felt like something I was saying or writing myself and I wrote in a very similar way I even talked about um counting your fucks and fuck stealing fuck gnomes and like these things back when I was in personal development about you only have so many fucks to give like be really careful where those go and then lo and behold the subtle art of not giving a fuck comes out right so it, it resonated with me deeply and these questions and it's something I talk about and something to think about all the time is um asking yourself what if you're wrong especially when it's something you disagree with someone practice empathy. Like these things are really important. And I think he's absolutely spot on, right? Which is this, this performative age of, of influencing and, and, and activism. It's about attention more than it is about making a change, right? Because there's so many people who can tell you all the problems in the fucking world and nobody has a goddamn solution. Right, and if the solution doesn't 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 jive with the person who has all the problems, well, now they're pissed about that person. That person gets canceled, right? It's like, well, we're just trying, we're floating ideas here, we're brainstorming, trying to figure this out. So we have the situation where a bunch of people know a little bit about a lot of things, and research is boring. You know, I do research for this show. I'm not by any means an expert. You know, I don't really think I'm an influencer either. I'm a a guy that cares about this stuff and likes to talk about it. So. I like what he says here. This unfortunate side effect of shallow awareness of every issue is that a large number of people have become incredibly irrationally pessimistic about the future. That's a really strong line because you act as if things are getting worse when in fact things have been getting much, much better over the past 50 years. And yeah, there are still massive problems and there's actually solutions to those problems, 
But what we have now with certain organizations changing the definition of like what white supremacy is and what racism is, you've now you've now moved the goalpost so much as to what these things are that one, it it waters down what actually what actual white supremacists are, for example. It's a good one, right? It's like, well, what what white supremacy was a few years ago was was white people that believed that white people were superior and that they needed a white ethno state to exist. Um, and that was that was better. Now white supremacy is everything. Everything. That's where we live. Right? Racism is the same thing. And we look at the Israel Palestine's a great, a great, a great example of this. And I think this is probably where this 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 article came from was looking at the Israel-Palestine situation and people thinking that they know every fucking thing about it, right? When you, you they, don't ha- they don't have experience taking a principled stance. That's why I talk about taking a principled stance. I think it's incredibly important because if you're saying that what Israel is doing is fucked up, but when America was doing it, it was fine, you have no credibility. And if you're saying that Hamas is the same as the fucking, um, you know, as the Peace Corps, well, you're also a fucking moron, right? There's a lot going on there, and there's a lot of nuance, and there's endless information and endless history that you can get into with this stuff. And some parts of it are very complicated, and some parts are very simple. Like, I don't give a shit if Hamas has rockets in a fucking hospital. Don't blow the fucking hospital up. That's where I'm at. There's a better way. You were a very advanced military. You could find a better way to fucking handle this. It's like, well, they gave him a courtesy call. It doesn't put the hospital back together, does it? to have a courtesy call when the fucking thing blows up. 17 hospitals, 17 hospitals were ex- and clinics were blown up in a very small area that holds 2 million people that are stacked on top of each other. They can't even build new houses. Can't even build new houses because they don't have permits from Israel to do so. So there's a lot there. There's a lot to understand, right? But when the United States is doing the same thing, I also had a problem with it. <laughs> so it's like it's not... If I, if I took a different stance, if I took it like, well, whatever Israel is doing is justified, it's like, well, then I could say what, the, what America was doing in killing civilians is justified, and I don't really think that's a fucking appropriate thing to do. That's where I'm at with this. You know what I'm saying? So if you have a lack of history and taking principled stances on things, it's hard to really stay in integrity. You can just flap around with the, with the social justice wind. And if you don't know that much, it's a really easy thing to do. If you don't know that much about what you're talking about, it's a really easy thing to do to just do the thing that your friends think is cool and get your likes on Instagram and move on. And yeah, that's a fucking problem. That is a fucking problem. And maybe we'll fix it. Maybe we won't. I don't think we will. I think it's do it. We, we have the ability, thanks to social media, to live in our own fucking reality. We don't share reality. Liberals don't share reality with conservatives. We don't have a shared reality. At least back in the day... <laughs> But the majority of reality was shared, and then you had your own little echo chambers outside of that that were smaller. Now, thanks to the fact that we we're consumed by technology, you literally can live in your own reality with no basis for what is happening outside of that reality, and then try and project that reality on other fucking people that don't really want your reality. And they are also living in their own reality. They're living in Magistan. And there's no common ground because you don't even live in the same fucking world, basically. May drive on the same roads, may work in the same building, but you do not live in the same world because what you see, what you notice, what you pretend to care about is different. And that's a really, really dangerous place to be. Sydney writes in and says, 
Um, I want to know your take on Governor Polis offering a million dollar giveaway every week for those who got the vaccine. Where was that money going during COVID when the government workers weren't getting hazard pay? And we have millions to just give away and a massive homelessness problem. We're playing, we're paying people to get a vaccine. I feel like if we have all this money to just give out, why, why isn't it being put to use that could make a bigger impact? Just look at the issues in Denver right now. Between the police issues, the homelessness issue, the mental health crisis going on, people still unemployed, and we're going to spend $4 million just like that? Yeah, $4 million won't fix all the issues, but I bet it could help. <laughs> we have here, oh man, Colorado launches $1 million lottery drawing as a vaccine incentive. Now, Colorado isn't the only place to do this. We've got people giving away tuition. I think that's in Ohio. And if we go down, it's it's uh, Ohio, Maryland, New York, and Oregon are offering lotteries in order to incentivize more residents to get the COVID-19 shot as vaccination numbers have dropped over the last two weeks across the country <sighs> because everything's getting back to normal and there's no carrot in front of your face to do so. So Colorado's calling it the Colorado Comeback Cash. Um, now, Jared Polis, this is this guy right here. Jared Polis is a follower, not a leader, right? And he's also kind of an attention whore. So he's going to do whatever Gavin Newsom would want him to do. Think about that. That's how he acts, right? It's like, oh, he wants to get a happy phone call from Nancy Pelosi being like, you're doing a good job, Jared. Like, that's where we're at. So I'm not surprised by this at all. And Sydney's absolutely right. We have a fucking massive homelessness problem in Denver right now. People are unemployed. A lot's going on. And you're doing a $4 million lottery with taxpayer money as if you have no interest in being reelected or having a station in government ever again. Like, what the fuck are you actually doing? Now, it was different, and I have to say this, it was different when Ohio did it, and it was different when Maryland, I, I didn't care that much. Now it's Colorado doing it, and I'm like, wait. That could go to a million other things. That could go to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I would love that. That go to preserving some public land that you love to sell, by the way, Jared. <sighs> but instead, it's going to four lucky winners. <laughs> four lucky winners. And of course, there's people giving away burgers and fries and yada, 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 which is fine. The people giving away Krispy Kreme donuts, it's fun to make fun of it. But at the end of the day, who fucking cares? That's just capitalism. People trying to, you know, fat people, fat people are very profitable for most companies. Okay, whether you're Costco or McDonald's or Krispy Kreme. Okay, you live, you're, the foundation of your business is fat people. So those people need the COVID vaccine because they are high risk. I've taken to calling fat people high risk now instead of fat. And, uh, or obese, just high, just call them high risk, it's high risk. Anyways, yeah, it makes sense. Whatever, do that. But like when you're talking about taking government funds and creating an incentive program for a thing that many people don't really want to get and aren't going to appreciate this. Like, what, what are we doing here? And, and I don't know what else to say besides there are way better uses for this money. Like, you don't think you could build some kind of, like, homelessness shelter for homeless shelter for $4 million? I'm sure you could. And that would be beneficial because I almost ran over a homeless guy today who walked behind my car as I was backing up. And they walked around the front of my car and then walked back to where he was. I'm pretty sure he was trying to get hit by my car. If I didn't have a backup camera, I probably would have hit the dude. So, we have this situation. And people get the vaccine, they want to get the vaccine. Do it. Do, do whatever you want to do. And the more people that want to get it, they get it. 
fine. I don't fucking care. It's not my responsibility to tell somebody what to do with their life. But when you're taking tax dollars and handing them out to people for getting a vaccine, why not just do a, a statewide lottery for anything? If you have a driver's license. Like, this is, it's silly, man. And, and I thought, Sydney, there's not much else for me to say besides exactly what you said, which is there were better things to be done with this money. And Jared is such a follower and such a trend writer that this is where we are. And there's not a goddamn thing we can do about it besides vote for somebody else next time around. Well, everybody... First want to say, I had a hard time during that show, keeping it all together. Had a few mix-ups there that will have to be edited out. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place today. But I'll be back, not next week, but the week after. Rejuvenated with a tan and just grateful to be back. Every time I leave for a little while, I'm just grateful to be back on the microphone. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of here. Join, join the Patreon if you like the Q&A format. That's where it goes down. And as always, keep your head on straight, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.